been set free. Free from addictions. Free from fear. Free from worrying about what people think about us. And set free from the ruling power of sin. And I just wonder if you're going to let your pastor be free as he preaches this sermon right now. A lot of pastors lie, right, before they preach and say, I won't hold you long. In good faith, I won't hold you long. I promise, I promise, I promise. But as Jules said, you know, we, we, we devise a way every week, but God directs the steps. And I don't regret anything we've done today, everything we've sang, every prayer we've prayed, every hug we've given, it had to be done today. And, um, and we don't want to be bound, as Elder Tyler even spoke about the American church. We don't want to be bound by religiosity, and we miss what the Lord wants to do. Because when he breaks up with revival, um, revival normally doesn't have a clock to it. Um, you know, Dylan Roof, a year ago, a little over a year ago, hoped that after he killed those people in Mother Emanuel Church in Charleston, South Carolina, he was hoping to set off a race war. And no, that didn't happen then because his efforts and his evil actions were swallowed up by the gospel, by people who chose to love their enemy, even when their enemy had killed their loved ones. And so the race war stopped, but that didn't mean the enemy's intentions ceased. But I am asking God for a racial revival, first in the church, that we will finally acknowledge some things because we can't move on until we go back and truly dig up what we tried to bury so that we can confess it properly as a whole, which gives us the freedom to talk about it. A lot of times we don't talk about it because we haven't been delivered from it, because we've been in denial or we're in resentment but we've got to bring these things before the Lord. We, we are part of the answer, as Elder said. But this morning, let's look for a word from Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4. Did anybody come today to get a word from the Lord? I'm preaching it, and I still came to get a word from the Lord. Because this word is a two-edged sword. It has a way of not only encouraging the hearer, but also cutting the speaker. Not only has a way of cutting Democrats, but it also cuts Republicans. I said it's a two-edged sword that cuts folk who are brown and cuts folks who are red. It's a two-edged sword. It cuts adults, cuts children, cuts men, cuts women. But God cuts for a reason. He cuts that he may heal. And we thank you. The Bible says that God sent his word and healed the people. Lord, send your word today and bring healing to your people. Genesis chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. Reading from the New King James Version, the Bible reads, Now Adam knew his wife, 
And she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of the fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, Sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Now Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? Verse 10. And he, the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So I only need a few minutes, truly, to deal with the subject of when blood cries. When blood cries, Father God, speak to us, encourage us, challenge us, motivate us, empower us, lead us, use us, get the glory from us. For we pray it all in Jesus' name and for his sake, amen. When blood cries, it says in verse 10, God said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So my question is, when I look at this passage and as I try to preach this message, the question is, when blood cries, what does it say? When blood cries out to God, what does it say? So when the blood cries, does it say to God, why God? When the blood cries out, does it say, why did you let this happen? Or does the blood cry out and say, oh God, will you please avenge me? Because vengeance is yours. You said that. Or does the blood speak like those who had been martyred and whose headless bodies were under the altar in the book of Revelation? And they said in Revelation chapter 6, verse 10, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? So when the blood cries, what does it say? 
Why, God? Or does it say, when, God, will you avenge me? Well, Abel's blood cried out to God after his brother Cain killed him. We don't know what Abel's blood said, but perhaps his blood said, Father, why did you let this happen to me? Perhaps Abel's blood said, God, I trusted him. He was my brother. We grew up together. I trusted him, which is why I let him get close to me because I didn't expect that he would kill me. What is his blood crying? Perhaps his blood cried out, I never thought I would die at the hand of my own brother. A lion, maybe. A bear, maybe. But my brother? Perhaps Abel's blood said to God, he didn't have to kill me because he was jealous of me. I was young. I had a lot of life to live. I'll never have a family. Perhaps his blood said, he had the nerve to kill me in broad daylight because they were out in the field and you're not going out to the field at night. You're going out to the field in the morning during the day. And he was killed in cold blood. And perhaps Abel's blood said to his father, God, what are you going to do about it? You see, blood is not supposed to cry. Technically, it's not even supposed to speak, but it did so in this passage. This is a literary device called personification. When things that are not people or persons take on characteristics of people. So blood is not supposed to speak. People speak. However, the Bible lets us know in the Old Testament that the life of the flesh is in the blood. So blood speaks, and the Bible lets us know that Abel's blood still speaks in the book of Hebrews chapter 11. But once again, what is the blood saying? Now, again, I don't know for sure, but here's what I do know, and it encourages me about this sad, sad story. Here's what encourages me. I don't know what Abel's blood said, but I do know that God was listening. I don't know what the blood said, but I was encouraged by the fact that God was listening and he had ears to hear the cry of someone who was put to death unjustly. So God listens to the blood. God listens to the cries of the blood and that encourages me. The blood was crying out from the ground. So the blood that had spilled out of Abel's body was able to speak to God and our God was listening. Therefore, if I'm going to be like God and I want to be like God, I was made in his image. Jesus came as the God man to buy me back, bring me back to God. The spirit is conforming me to the image of Christ, who is the image of God. So there's this call on my life to be like God. And if you have a relationship with God, there's a call on your life to be like him, to be like his son. So if we're going to be like God, that means we have to be able to listen to the cries of the blood. But what does it say about me if I'm so busy that I'm not listening to the cries 
of the blood. Even if it's the blood of innocent children who have been slain in the womb since 1973, Roe versus Wade. Millions upon millions upon millions of babies who've been slaughtered and killed in the name of pro-choice. Their blood is crying out to God. But not only those who are in the womb, but those who are out of the womb, their blood cries to God. So that lets us know as Christians, we care about life in the womb and life all the way to the tomb. We care about kids who are unborn and we care about kids who have been born, especially those who have been born poor and who don't have as much access to many of the things that we take for granted, things that empower us and make our lives a little bit better. We are like the Lord to have an eye out for the poor and disenfranchised. And so the blood, the blood, the blood, the blood. Let's talk about the blood that cried out this past week. What about Alton Sterling's blood? What did Alton Sterling's blood cry out to God after he got shot on Tuesday night in Baton Rouge, Louisiana by two policemen while doing what he's been doing for the past six years, selling CDs outside of a convenience store where he and the owner had a relationship. They had an understanding because he knew that Alton had a clientele. And if people came to the CD man to get their Luther CD, if they came to the CD man to get their Beyonce lemonade CD, now, it may not be an original, but it's going to be a copy that sounds like the original because every community has a CD man. Back in the day, it was a tape man. He had the tapes in the back of the trunk. And so the owner of the store understood that when they came to get CDs, they might just come inside to his store and they might buy something. So they worked together. But on that night, we don't know the whole story yet. But we know enough that what we've seen right now, it doesn't look good. It didn't look right. It looked unnecessary. It even looked evil. But what did that man's blood say? Again, I don't know, but I'll use my sanctified imagination. Perhaps his blood said, God, this is not right. I was just selling CDs and minding my own business. Why did my life have to be taken like this? Who deserves to die like this in a parking lot? What was his blood saying? Perhaps it said, did you have to tackle me and escalate the situation? Couldn't we have kept talking this thing out? Would this have happened to me if I was a white man? What is his blood saying? What is his blood crying? Dear police officers, maybe his blood said, I was made in the image of God just like you. I was not reaching for my gun. Showing some level of resistance is a natural response when you get attacked. You wanted me to remain calm. Why didn't you remain calm? What is his blood saying from the ground? Perhaps he's saying, God, I miss my wife. God, I miss my son. And perhaps his blood said, God, 
Don't let what happened to me happen to my black son. What did Philando Castile's blood cry out to God when he was killed by a police officer in Falcon Heights, Minnesota on Wednesday during a routine traffic stop? What did his blood say? Perhaps his blood said, this is not right as his spirit left his body. As his soul departed from his body, perhaps he said, are you kidding me? I'm going out like this. Why did you have to shoot me? I was not a threat. I told you I had a permit. I told you I had a concealed weapon. And I'm only doing what I was taught to do when people have a weapon and a permit. And I'm telling you what I have on me. Are you that threatened by black skin? NRA, your silence is deafening. Oh, yeah, you made a report a day after, but you didn't even mention my name. Say my name. By the way, his blood may have said, I haven't heard anything from these so-called evangelical leaders. Franklin Graham. Oh, oh, y'all are going to speak once the police officers get killed. Which means my life doesn't have the same value intrinsically in your eyes that the police officers have. Why didn't that infuriate you? Is not my life the same value before God as theirs? Where's the white church? You were silent during the civil rights movement? Haven't you learned anything? Speak up. Show up. Stand up. Get up. Grow up. Come on. What was his blood crying out? I'm so glad the blood said that you didn't shoot the four-year-old little girl in the back seat with me. What does my past have to do with me getting shot in broad daylight for a taillight violation? Why you got to bring up my past? You know, dead men tell no tales. I can't even talk and defend myself. What does my prior violations have to do? I hope you're not saying that to justify what happened as if I deserve to be executed on the street where police are playing judge, jury, and executioner. I think they have some things in their past that they're not proud of either, but we're all here by grace. I wonder what Philando's blood cried out. I wonder if he said, I hope my death was not in vain. I hope this sparks a revolution where people can begin to talk and love and forgive and come together. But it makes me wonder if people are going to grieve more for a gorilla that got shot in Cincinnati than they'll grieve for me getting shot on the streets of Minneapolis. What did Dallas police officers' blood have to say? Brent Thompson, Patrick Zamarapia, Michael Kroll, Lauren Ahrens, and Michael Smith, what did their blood cry out when they were killed by a sniper on Thursday night? What did their blood say? Perhaps their blood said, I was only doing my job. 
I was only standing up to protect all people, black, white, because bullets don't have no name. I put myself in harm's way because when I took the oath of the badge to serve and to protect, I meant it. And those five people died that day. What is their blood saying? Perhaps it's saying I didn't kill any of the men that died earlier that week. So I hope black community, you'll understand that some cops, white cops are in fact good cops because we died protecting people of various races, classes, and genders. Don't paint with such a broad brush when you're frustrated about police brutality. Perhaps the blood say, would you take each case separately and would you honor and uplift white cops who are intentional to come into the hood to befriend and to get to know us? Don't broad brush us. But since we're talking about how blood crowds, What did Tamir Rice's blood say? His blood may have said, I was only playing in the park. I was only 12 years old. What did Sandra Bland's blood say? She may have said, I ended up dying in jail because of a U-turn. I can't believe this. What did Michael Brown's blood say? Man, couldn't you have tasered me? Did you have to resort to force, deadly force? Couldn't you? Were there other options, man? Yeah, I was wrong. But did you have to take my life? And by the way, media, once again, why you got to vilify me? I did some good things in my life, too. Trayvon Martin's blood may have said, you saw my hoodie and thought I was a threat. The coach for the New England Patriots wears a hoodie. You don't see him as a threat. Why me? It was raining that night. You put hoods on your head to keep the rain off your head. Why'd you have to kill me like that? The nine black people killed in the church in Charleston said, we trusted you, Dylan, and you killed us. We invited you in. The blood spoke and said, we invited you in as one of us. And Because love to us has no color. You're one of God's children. And you sat for an hour at our Bible study. Plotting what you were going to do to us to start your so-called race war. But guess what? This blood also says, Dylan, we forgive you. And living family members are saying, I still want him to hear the gospel and come to a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the blood. Well, what about the dozens of black people killed in Chicago over Independence Day weekend and months prior? What about all those black people in Chicago killed by other black people? I need you to hear that part because I don't want you to walk out of here saying he only talked about this. But there are black people killing black people to the degree where black people who died have said, do black lives really matter? Because it wasn't the white man who killed me. It was some brother wearing a blue rag. It was some brother wearing a red rag or a black rag. It was some brother saying that I was on his turf. It was some sister who came out to get me. And people who looked like me ended up killing me. Perhaps the blood of those who died in Chicago said, 
Black people, y'all got to stop using that word nigger. Because when we speak derogatorily of each other, when we speak disrespectfully of each other, no wonder we don't value life in each other. Black people stop being hypocritical because all of our hip hop is laced with that word, that destructive word that we didn't invent, but it was put on us. Yeah, I know we try to turn it around to take the power out of the word. We try to give comedic value to the word, but when you look at the word, it's a degrading word and we're still using it in our hip hop and its influence is going out all around the nation and the number one buyer of hip hop happens to be white suburban kids. So don't you get mad when some of them begin to talk like you, Jay-Z. Don't you get mad when some of them begin to talk like you all of you other rappers you can't have it both ways the blood is probably saying black folks stop being hypocritical jesse williams set stuff off a couple of weeks ago bet awards he gets up and he gives an a passionate speech there were white people who heard it and said oh my we need to vote and get him off of Grey's Anatomy or whatever show he's on. Black folks are cheering. Go, Jesse, go. You light-skinned brother. But as they were cheering Jesse, talking about police brutality, and he should, as they cheered Jesse on, they missed some of the points that Jesse made, like the part about how we as a black community, we shackle ourselves by buying all of these brands like Louis Vuitton. And we, we, we rob Peter to pay Paul with money we don't have in order to get the latest fly gear and all of this jewelry emblazoned these new gold shackles put on us when we forget that we were shackled for centuries. We were given a name for centuries. And now that we've been set free, we've gone back to shackles. Oh, the black community missed that part. Went right over their head. And you know how I know they missed that part? Because as soon as he got off that stage, Future gets up and sings for about 10 minutes saying a bunch of nothing. Forgive me for what I'm about to say, but we as black folks are schizophrenic or bipolar. And everything ain't the white man's fault. We do a lot of mess to ourselves. Black on black crime, come on, pastor. You know, because if you kill me as a black man, you're going to go to jail. But when a white officer kills a black person, they probably won't go to jail. So it's different when you talk about black on black crime. Well, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let, let's go back to this now. If you kill me, you said you may not go to jail. But if a cop kills me, he may not go to jail. So it's different because the black person who kills a black person goes to jail. So the white person who kills the black person doesn't go to jail. So we're going to get more upset about when a black person, white person kills a black person as opposed to when a black person kills a black person. I just want to go a little bit deeper and say, why does the black person have to kill the black person? Irregardless of whether or not whites don't go to jail, we go to jail. Let's keep it. Why do we have to do that? 
You know why? Because as Elder Tyler said, the problem is spiritual. Doesn't mean that there aren't other problems systemically. Doesn't mean that there aren't other problems where there are intentional forces at work to keep certain people in certain places of degradation. Doesn't mean that's not there. It's there. It's real. But if we don't forget the fact that this is first a spiritual situation. Because I learned when I went to Africa. I was called into Africa by Matthew Kirikou, the president of Benin. And he called for the African diaspora to come back. And that is the sons of former slaves who had come to America through slavery. He called those of us in America to come back to Africa, to West Africa, where millions of slaves were deported. He called for us to come back so that he could offer an apology to black people like me because his ancestors sold their people to the white man so that we could get in slave ships in the first place. So if we're going to tell the whole story and redeem history, yeah, white people brought Africans into the Americas. But a lot of it wouldn't have happened unless certain chiefs had captured and said that this black life ain't worth nothing, so I'm going to sell you to the man with the gold. But as black folk, we want to start the story with, they stole us. But let's go back a little bit further. No, we sold us, and we still sell ourselves out today. Hey, man, we didn't bring those drugs into our community. Somebody else did. Okay, but why do you have to sell them? I just got to make some money to feed my daughter. So that justifies you selling out black people? See, we got to have some conversations as black folks. And that's where y'all got to release me to say some stuff to black people. White folks, don't get scared. I'm coming back. But I got to go. Because some stuff they ain't going to hear from you. We really don't even want to hear from ourselves. And nobody gets well living in denial. And then when I come back over, I got a few things to say to some white people. But you know, many of them ain't going to listen to me. That's why you as white folk got to speak up. I'll stand right next to you. <laughs> what is the blood of our black and white ancestors saying? The ones who have gone on before, their blood is probably saying you still don't realize that God made all of us from one blood? You still haven't come together in the Lord's church? What's changed from 1963 to 2016 where Amer the American church is still the most segregated hour in America? Now, you, you haven't learned anything yet? You're still maximizing your differences while minimizing your similarity? How many more people have to die in order for you to wake up? We already fought a war over race. Don't you dare fight another one. We marched, bled, and died so that you and your children wouldn't have to. Stop deflecting and start repenting. Stop pointing fingers and point a couple of thumbs at yourself. But not only that, what about the blood of the prophets? Jesus said the blood of the prophets is crying out. He even said the blood of righteous Abel is speaking. 
The blood is speaking. The blood of the prophets. Though you may kill a prophet, the prophet's words go forth because they are the words of God. You might consolidate the prophet or the prophetess in the natural realm, but since their words come from God, their words live on beyond them. So that's why Micah's blood can say, do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. That's why Amos's blood can say, let righteousness flow down like a river and righteousness like, and justice like a mighty stream. That's why Stephen's blood, when he was martyred by his own people, he could say, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. My, how his blood spoke. And Martin Luther King Jr., his blood, I know, says, hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. But I also hear his blood saying, there comes a time when silence is betrayal. Sometimes silence means wisdom, but other times silence means betrayal and cowardice. He also said a man's life ends the day that he has nothing for which to stand up for. The blood is speaking, but there's one last prophet. There's one last prophet. What does his blood cry? And I'm talking about the prophet of all prophets who happens to also be the king of all kings, the Lord of all lords. What, what, what does his blood have to say? When he was put to death publicly and unjustly and he shed his blood in a gory, violent way, what, what did the blood of Jesus speak? We know his blood says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. But I think his blood also said, no matter what they do, I love you. I love you. I love you. Oh, the blood of Jesus is speaking. I love you. I love you. God is listening to the cries of the blood. But strong tower are we. Will we allow politics to deafen our ears? Will we allow race and privilege to deafen our ears? Will we allow the fact that it didn't happen to me deafen our ears? Or will we be like our God who listens to the cries of the blood? And once we listen, are we willing to do something with what we heard? Are we willing to do justice? And you say, Pastor, yeah, I, I want to do something. Because the times are coming where we just can't be Christians who sit and listen. Matter of fact, the time is already here where we have to be Christians who sit and walk it out. We have to pray not only on our knees, but on our feet. We have to be like Nehemiah's people who work with a weapon in one hand and a tool in the other hand. It's time to get busy. So what can you do when the blood cries? You can do what like, like my man Dustin did. You can write your local officials. Oh, one of our members of the church wrote his local official and said, I am a white male and I've adopted a black son from Uganda. And I just want to know what is the city of Franklin going to do 
or what is it doing about training its officers with sensitivity and recognizing how to address someone? I, I just want to know that justice is going to be done because I'm raising a man of color. And they listened to my man Dustin so much that they said, we want to sit down and have a meeting with you. And they bring about 15 people to come meet with Dustin. I said, Dustin, you all right? Dustin, like, yeah, I'm cool. <laughs> but I'm glad. I'm glad. I would not have known about the march the other night in the vigil unless Dustin and his wife had told me about it. So I thank God for our white folks in this body who have their fingers on the pulse of what's going down socially and systemically in the world by way of race and race relations. That is worthy of a hand clap for God. That, that's worthy. Okay. If you don't want to write your delegates, man, at least write something good on Facebook. Write something to educate some people. Put something up where they're going to say, uh-oh, see, I knew it would happen. You're hanging around with all of those Negroes. It's rubbing off on you. What can you do? You can comfort those who need to be comforted. And that may mean keeping your mouth shut and just showing up and being there and crying with them. Helping to bear their burdens. Mourn with those who mourn. That's an action. You can do that. You can confront people. Black folks, you can confront other black people about prejudice. White folks, you can confront other white folks about racism and injustice. About double standards and about ignorance. What can you do? You can vote. As Elder Tyler said, the system is broken. It's always been broken because the system is full of broken people. But we still have to vote for politicians and policies that best represent the things that are dear to our heart. So that may mean, although we're Christians, we may vote differently because what's dear to my heart is found in this policy and this candidate versus what's dear to your heart is found in this policy and that candidate. We just sang about this freedom, where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. So therefore, we are free to vote how the Lord would lead us, knowing that we will stand before him to give an account and not stand before one another to give an account for why we voted for so-and-so or so-and-so. But you got to vote. Some of you got to run for office. You know why so many preachers are also politicians in the black community? Because we knew we had to not only make change in the pulpit, but also down in city council. So that's why a lot of pastors, now I'm not going to run for office. I'm not running for office. <laughs> Somebody tried to speak that over me. I said, oh, we rebuke us that in the name of Jesus. <laughs> no. I'll work at Earl's uh, car wash first for a second job before I take on a second job as a politician. Watch, next year I'll be a politician. I'll come up here and Hey, Strong Tower, I was down to the city council last week. <laughs> what else can you do? You can be intentional to cross the lines. You can be intentional to read things you would normally not read. You can be intentional, listen to this, to come under leadership that doesn't look like you. 
one of the things that makes this church so great. But it's still kind of a, still kind of theory for some. And that is, you as a white person, you don't always have people of color as authority over you. Because in, in many of our jobs, we don't always have people of color over us. But this church is one place where you can have a person of color over you in the Lord. But what has happened over the years is that when I stop preaching, because, oh, it's so entertaining to hear him preach. Oh, I got a black preacher. But when that preacher has to become a pastor and speak with authority in the name of the Lord, now all of a sudden I don't want Chris Williamson as my pastor. And not only am I going to leave, but I'm going to talk about him when I leave. And I'm going to talk about all he talk about is race. No. So when I see those people, I say to them, I say, uh, like I saw a guy the other day who's adopted black children. And I said to him when they were members a long time ago, man, it's good for you to have your children under black leadership in this church. Not only me, but other elders. It's good for them to rise up and see other people of color because they're not going to always see it in their schools or in their neighborhoods. I'm glad they can come to church. And he was down. As soon as there was a conflict in the family called Strong Tower, he took his diverse family out. And when I saw him the other day, he looked hopeless and helpless because I don't know what church he's going to. But a lot of times when people leave a diverse church, they either don't go to church or they go back to an all homogeneous church that's based on what they are, all black or all white. And I felt bad for him because I'm like, your sons are going to need some black men, men of color in their lives. That's real talk. Because in the black community, the pastor not only was the pastor, but he was also like a father. I heard that DJ, one of our kids, has a loose tooth. And Felicia said to me, she said, DJ's going to come up to you because he wants you to pull his tooth. See, Tramel probably too rough to pull a tooth, so he want to come to the pastor. <laughs> see, in the black community, we're mixing cultures at Strong Tower. And for some of us coming out of the black church culture, the pastor is even a dentist. <laughs> That's the beauty of this. To my white people, listen, black folks give up a whole lot to come to a multicultural church. That's why the prayer meeting was so sweet on Thursday because we got to emote in here. We don't always emote in mixed company. That's why we always like to be at a black church where we can emote, but the Lord's calling the church to be together, to emote together. But we've got culture that we like to do. But a lot of us give that up. We come from a culture, we be in church all day long and eat at the church and come back. We gave that up. Some black folks said amen. But white people, Williamson and Davidson County, don't tuck tail and run as soon as it gets uncomfortable. Don't do what your people have historically done. And that is when it starts costing you something, now all of a sudden you don't want to pay anything. 
You know why? Because you got a whole lot of other choices around here to go to as far as churches. Stick in there a little bit. Stop having a consumer mindset concerning when you come to church as a white person. What the children's ministry and the student ministry ought to do for you. You know, as black people, we didn't grow up with a student ministry or a teen ministry. We're mixing cultures here. So hang in there. We're hanging in there as best we can. Do I want to leave sometimes? Sure I do. I know you do. But man, there's something greater. Because when I was hanging out with some black folks this week and they were dogging white people, I could have a smile on my face and say, you don't know the white people that I know. You're missing out with all that anger and that frustration. Let me tell you what the Bible says. Let me tell you what we have been experiencing for almost 21 years. Is it easy? No. Is it worth it? You better believe it. Come on! Well, Tammy, 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 come on up. I see you at the keys, brother. You got a solo? You got a solo? <laughs> we didn't keep you too long, but I, the blood is crying. I want to make sure that I'm listening. And after I listen, I want to do something. We find life when we give it away. But Jesus says we lose life when we try to hold it. Elder Tyler spoke prophetically today. If we can remain humble, yet bold, God will use this ministry because people are looking for answers. They're looking for solutions. We're not the solution. We happen to be a solution. Do we have it all together? No. But if we can all just stay together. I think Jackie Patillo said, we're better when we're together. So in a family, man, we're going to stay together up in here. Well, if President Obama was here, he'd start singing some Al Green. I said, if President Obama was here, Tyrus, he'd start singing some Al Green. Because it's one thing to come together, but we've got to. I said, we've got to. Uh, uh, come on up, Tyrus. Come on, come on. Now listen, Tammy could sing that, but I ain't gonna put her on the spot because she might not know the words, but Tammy could sing, let's stay together. Make so I have an announcement. <laughs> an announcement. Let's see, tomorrow there will be a combined prayer service with members of Grace Community Church and Strong Tower Bible Church. That's tomorrow evening. Uh, July 11th at 6.30 p.m. at Grace Community Church. You all know where that's at on the corner of Old Hickory Boulevard and uh, Granny White Pike, the street that we're on. So children are welcome to attend, but there will not be any child care provided. So hopefully that, yes. Next Sunday at 9 a.m., there's a special prayer time. Prayer with the family, uh, led by the pastor and the elders. So that's next Sunday here. What a, what a, you know, for me, very quickly, I just want to say I, I would not have wanted to be anywhere else uh, today. I would not have wanted to be anywhere else. And I, I love how the pastor spoke to everyone in the room. 
uh, not just black people. He sure challenged us, didn't he? Uh, but not just uh, white people. I loved how he challenged us to go out and be agents of change and agents of love and truth and compassion in Christ Jesus. So I have one last scripture. I know there was a lot of scriptures that were read, but I do want to read this. It's from Ephesians 6, 10, 10 through 18. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And so it is not against flesh and blood. Even though many of us have been uh, just brought to our knees this last week, Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, and that is now, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray, pray, pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all of God's people. Will you bow your head and close your eyes? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, today for your presence, dear Heavenly Father. You said, lo, I am with you always. I will be with you until the end of age, Lord. Although we cry out, you have not left us, dear Heavenly Father. Your word tells us that you are with us, Lord. And so, Father, we thank you for these spiritual weapons that you have given us, dear Heavenly Father. Your word says that no weapon formed against us will prosper. Although we may feel, dear Heavenly Father, on the contrary with the events of this last week, we know God to trust, we know to stand, we know to have truth. All of your armor, dear Heavenly Father, protects us. Help us, dear Heavenly Father, to go out, as Pastor said, uh, as a body, dear Heavenly Father, but also as individuals. If we have white family, dear Heavenly Father, that may speak those things that are evil, those things that are racist, those things, dear Heavenly Father, that bring black people down, Help us to have the courage, dear Heavenly Father, to speak love and truth, dear Heavenly Father. You will protect us, dear Heavenly Father. You be, will be with us. Help us, as the pastor did today, to our black brothers and sisters, to challenge those things, dear Heavenly Father, that only bring us down. But God, help us to speak love and truth and to hold on to your truth and to love one another for the, with the love, God, that you have given us. We thank you. We praise you. It is in your precious name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.